Praise the Lord and welcome to Calvary Tabernacle midweek service. Today for our opening text, we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. I would like to thank Pastor Carson and Brother Healy and the other leaders for this opportunity to speak today. Today we're going to look at numerous passages of scripture because we're going to try to look and find some wonderful golden threads throughout scripture that I think God is really going to help us understand some beautiful lessons from scripture today. Before we read this opening text, a a major question that I would like to propose to us is this question of why are we Pentecostal? What is the spirit for? Why why do we believe in this concept of of being a Pentecostal? So with that said, 2 Samuel 7, we're going to jump down to verse 12, and we're going to read down to the beginning of verse 14. It says in 2 Samuel 7, 12, and when thy days be fulfilled, this is, this is God's message to King David. He says, David, when your days are fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build an house for my name. And I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. And the beginning of verse 14 says, and I will be his father and he shall be my son. So today I would like to speak on this topic of the first of many brethren with the subtitle, welcome to the family. The first of many brethren, welcome to the family. If we go all the way back to the beginning of human history in the Garden of Eden, we we find that God's presence was linked with mankind in the Garden of Eden. The the presence of God walked with Adam and Eve, and there's this this beautiful relationship between God and his creation. We even see throughout the Bible this theme established that the theme of the Bible is God's seeking relationship with mankind. But there's this massive three-letter problem that seems to just mess up everything, and that is, of course, sin. And through the sin in the garden, there was this estrangement, this brokenness between God and between humans with other humans. And even there was a brokenness within ourselves due to this event that we call the fall. But thankfully, God's plans are never hindered by sin and and human uh, disobedience. But God's plan is going to carry on to draw humanity back to him. And he will include this, this nation of Israel in, God, in, in God's plan. If we go down to the time of the Hebrews being in Egypt, even though the people are enslaved, God is blessing these Israelites to where they are growing to two to three million people in a foreign land, the foreign land of Egypt. It's in this time that we see this image of God in the Old Testament as a father. One of the most famous lines that we, that we know so well of Moses going to Pharaoh and, and Moses says, let my people go speaking for God, let my people go that they may serve me. But another very important statement that Moses gives to Pharaoh is he says, uh, Yahweh has said that Israel is my son. Israel is my firstborn. And as God is leading his son out of Egypt, they go to Mount Sinai and God gives them this promise of kingship and says, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant commandments, then you will be a kingdom of priests, Exodus 19. 
But as probably many parents and myself being a teacher, we can understand that good promises do not always yield obedience. And even though God had brought the people out and he brought them in to something better, there was still this concept within the Israelites that they wanted to build a kingdom in their own image. In the book of Judges, we read this phrase that comes up time and time again. There was no king in those days. And so everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. People were making decisions and deciding what was good and evil in their own mind while they were ignoring the voice and the commands of their God. But God is going to raise up multiple people and he's going to anoint these various individuals to lead his unruly son, Israel. We read of judges and priests and prophets where the Bible says that the spirit came upon Gideon or the spirit came upon Samson and they were commissioned by God to fulfill some powerful uh, feats and some wonderful things that God had in store for his people for deliverance. And, and, and these people, they, they rise up to defend God's children. And we finally come to the very first king of Israel. Now, this is an important point because King Saul is the first king. And he shows himself to be disobedient and unfaithful to the Lord's commands. So God removes the kingdom from Saul. And he says to Saul, I'm going to give your kingdom to a neighbor, someone that I have found that will be obedient, someone that is a man after my own heart. And then that famous event where the prophet Samuel walks into the home of Jesse in Bethlehem. And, and he says, no, this, no, that son is not the chosen one to be the king. God, God has said, not this one, not this one. And finally, the youngest son comes in. And God proclaims to Samuel, if we read in 1 Samuel 16, 12, and the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is he and verse 13 says then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brethren and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward now David is such a wonderful king to study because he sets the standard for kingship in the old testament there are two kings in the Old Testament that, that God compares these various other kings to. For example, Jeroboam is this wicked and evil king. And anytime there was an evil king to follow, the Bible records that such and such, this evil king, they followed the example of evil Jeroboam. But when there was a good king, that good king was declared to be walking in the steps of his father or ancestor, David. Well, what did these two individuals do? What did Jeroboam do? He built these two massive golden idols that led people astray. But David is the complete opposite because as he is fighting battles and God is bringing the enemy to defeat for David, what David does is a contrast to Jeroboam because David destroyed idols. David was a man after God's own heart. He was following God with his whole heart. He is a man anointed to be God's king for God's kingdom. David was so pleasing to the Lord that this is where we come to in our opening text. That God is about to give a promise to David that is one of the greatest promises in all of scripture. Scholars call it the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. 
We read it already at the beginning of this message where God says to David, you are going to die, but your son is gonna be the next king. And I will establish your dynasty, King David. You shall have a dynasty. Your son is gonna have an everlasting kingdom. And your son is gonna build a house for my name. And of course we understand this is a massive promise because David is the only, he's only the second king of Israel at this time. The previous king didn't have a dynasty. So what a promise to David. But then the last part that God says is, David, your son, he's not just going to be your son, but he's going to be my son too. He's not just going to be the son of David, but he's going to be the son of God as well through this covenant relationship and through the anointing of the Spirit of God. So the search went on for this, this title of David's greater son. Because we know that Solomon came to be the king after David. Did Solomon be become the king? Yes, he did. Did Solomon build a temple for God's name? Yes, he did. But did Solomon's reign last forever? No, it did not. And so the search was on for this, this, this great son of David. And if we go to Isaiah 11, verse 1, Isaiah pens and he says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Now we have to understand that the previous chapter, Israel, due to their idolatry and their sin and wickedness, God had, had prophesied that he was going to remove Israel from their land. Their kingdom would be destroyed and there was nothing but tree stumps. But out of that destruction, out of the rod of the stem of Jesse, there would grow forth a branch out of his roots. And verse 2 says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, it's interesting that Isaiah is starting not with King David in verse 1, but he's starting with Jesse. Scholars think that this looks like Isaiah is trying to say a new David is coming. A new David that will lead people in righteousness. And if we continue reading, we see this new David, this new king. He's going to rule with perfect justice. He's going to rule in pure righteousness. He shall smite the earth and destroy all wickedness. Somebody say amen, because this, this concept of the, the Spirit of God coming upon this individual, this king, that term is where we get the wonderful term Messiah. The New Testament way to say it is Christ, because those words mean the anointed one, the empowered one. This is a new kingdom that was going to come and cover the whole earth, and God's king would be established, and so would God's kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. If we go a little bit further in, uh, to, in this study, we come to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, you have to understand it with the lens or the viewpoint of the Davidic covenant. These evil kings are prophesied to that they will rise up against the Lord, and it says, and his anointed one. And it's interesting, it's funny to me, because God is going to scoff and actually mock these kings for their foolishness. But if we go down to verse 6 and 7, Yahweh, God says, yet have I set up my king in my holy hill of Zion. That's Jerusalem. 
That's the kingdom where David ruled from. But that's not, that, that's not it. That's not it because the next verse says, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. This son of David, this new Davidic figure that's gonna come, he's gonna rule over the entire earth. There will come a day, Psalm 2 says, that all the kings are gonna bow down and they will all submit to this king. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm so thankful today that the anointing and the promise of the Spirit was not limited to just this coming Davidic king. We could read numerous scriptures. Remember, our question today is, why are you Pentecostal? Why do you believe in the moving of the Spirit? We could go to many Old Testament passages, but let's go to Ezekiel 36. And for the sake of time, we're just going to read a few verses from Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 25. God says, then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all of your filthiness, from all of your idols. Will I cleanse you? Now, what's the context of Ezekiel? Ezekiel's not living in Jerusalem right now. Ezekiel's living in Babylon. It's what we call the exile because of the Jews and their idol worship, because of their sin and disobedience to the Lord, the Lord removed them just like Isaiah said that would happen. But Ezekiel saying there's going to come a day when God's going to remove those idols. And if we go to verse 27, God says, I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and you shall do them. Because what God is saying here, he's not just giving a bunch of commands, but he's going to give some commandments with the intention of giving you the power to obey. God just is not a dictator up there trying to dictate our lives for his mere pleasure, but he knows that he knows the way to bless our lives. He knows the way that we should live, that we can live in blessing and not in a curse. So what God is doing is saying, I'm going to command you to do some things, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to give you the power and the will to obey. Thank the Lord. Somebody just right where you are, just thank the Lord today. Thank you, Jesus. And this great covenant phrase a little bit further down says, and ye will dwell in the land and I will be your God and you will be my people. That's covenant language. Now the next verse, or excuse me, the next chapter, this is a very famous chapter, Ezekiel 37. Isaiah, what do you see in this valley? I, 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 God, I see a valley of dead and dry bones. Well, can these bones live, Ezekiel? Can these bones live, Ezekiel? And he says, Lord, you know. Verse 11, God points and he says, these bones are the entire house of Israel. And what we can see from this passage is that this is a promise and, a, and an illustration that God is giving to Ezekiel to show him that what we just talked about in the previous chapter, this is what it's going to look like. Because in verse 14, it says, and, and I shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live. And those dry bones are going to rise up. 
Why? Because with the Spirit of God comes new life. With the Spirit of God comes new life, new living, a new purpose. And God is going to revive this dead house of Israel. But it doesn't stop there. Because if we keep reading further down, we understand the whole context that that is a promise of Pentecost. It's a promise that God's Spirit was not just coming for a select few, but God's Spirit was going to fill everyone. And if we keep reading down, that before that exile had happened, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah had separated and broken, and God's kingdom had been fragmented into two. But Ezekiel writes that God is going to restore that kingdom. But not just that. Verse 24 gives us the identity of who is going to rule that new kingdom. Verse 24 says, And David my servant shall be the king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments. That means they're going to obey and observe my statutes, and they will do them. And the ending of 25 says, My servant David shall be their prince forever. Forever. That's a fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. It's not saying that there's going to be a, a, a second uh, regeneration of, of David or, or some kind of uh, uh, reincarnation of David. But what it's saying is the same thing that Isaiah was saying. This Davidic figure is going to come. He's going to rule over all the earth. And he's going to lead people back to a relationship with God. This is God's king for God's kingdom. It's the power and the anointing coming upon this king and those inside the kingdom who are also anointed with God's new life and spirit within them. Somebody say amen. Thank you, Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Because these are prophecies. These have to uh, come to pass if God is truly faithful. So we fast forward some 600 years after Ezekiel. And we see this rugged old prophet, and he's preaching down by the Jordan River. What are the first words of John the Baptist as he's preaching? Repent. Why? Because the kingdom, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is at hand, and there's somebody coming. There's somebody coming that's greater than me. There's some, I just baptize you with water, but there's somebody that's coming after me. He's going to baptize you with fire. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He is coming to do greater things than I can do. Now, let's take a, take a pause here just to remember King David's anointing. There's the prophet. There's a voice that comes to the prophet and says, hey, that's him. This is he. Arise and anoint him. And it says, we read that the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. What I love about Scripture are all of these Old Testament patterns, all these golden threads that come, and they finalize here. Why? Because this son of David's anointing is going to be very similar to the first David's anointing. Because when that coming one, when that one after John the Baptist, when he steps out into the water and he's baptized and a voice comes from heaven and this, this spirit of God, not actually, not a physical dove, but a visible representation 
of the Spirit descending upon this individual. And this voice from heaven uh, lets, uh, lets us know who this is as the voice says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Because that voice is quoting the Old Testament. That voice is quoting that Psalm 2 passage that we already read. Because that voice is saying, this is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. This is that son of David that you've been waiting for. And as the spirit is descending, we remember what it says in Isaiah 11. That the spirit would be upon him. And that anointing would be upon him. And this is the beloved son. Not just the son of David. But this is the son of God. In whom I'm well pleased. That's another Old Testament reference to the suffering servant. Because yes, this was going to be the king. But he was going to be a servant first. What's his name? This is not about a trinity, the baptism of Jesus. It's not about the revelation of, of the trinity or anything like that, but it's an announcement that the son of David is here. It's a fulfillment of all of these Old Testament prophecies that we've been waiting for. And the one who came to fulfill what his name means, when this one whose name means Yahweh has become salvation, we find in the face of Jesus, in the face of Jesus, we find the son of David and the Son of God coming to redeem mankind from their estrangement from God. Maybe just where you're at, you can thank Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Thank you for your kingdom, Lord. Hebrews 5 says, Through Christ's obedience, he is the author of salvation to all of those that obey him. Because salvation comes through obedience. That's why Peter said in, in Acts 5, the Holy Ghost is given to those that obey God. That's why we have to obey the one that obeyed. We follow the footsteps of the one that was the Redeemer. He walked in complete submission to the Lord. The man Jesus. The man Jesus. We can't forget that he was truly a man. We love to sing and, and preach about Jesus being God, but the Bible's clear. He was the son of David too. This comes to fulfillment in the upper room. The fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And when that upper room took place and the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God was poured out. God gave that new spirit of Ezekiel. God poured out his spirit upon all flesh just like Joel said he would. So why are you Pentecostal today? Why do you believe in the moving and the power of the Spirit? One answer we can say is because the whole Bible teaches it. I'm not Pentecostal just because of Acts 2.38, and I love that verse, but we are Pentecostal because the entire Bible teaches and preaches about the Spirit and the power of God. We're going to read a couple verses from Romans 8, and I know I've thrown so much into this lesson, but I think this is helping someone today. Romans 8, verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh but you are in the spirit. If it be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, why is the spirit essential? Because if any man have not the spirit of Christ, that man is not of Christ. He is none 
of his. Now, that might, that might sound very judgmental or that might sound like people are, you know, get upset with hearing that. But here's the thing. We should not be afraid of this verse. We should see this verse as an invitation. We should see this verse that, you know what? If you don't have the spirit, you can get it. It is a gift. It's not something we work up to. Now, we obey, but that's just aligning ourselves with the will of God. And what God is telling us in the scriptures is that his spirit is there. It's a gift. It's an invitation for you to join. Verse 11 in Romans 8. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Okay, well, what does that mean? That kind of sounds like Ezekiel's dry bones. That kind of sounds like dead things coming back to life. Why? Because if Jesus resurrected, we can resurrect too. If Jesus, the power of Jesus came in and resurrected that, that righteous man, that obedient man, we can experience that same power, that same new life. Verse 14, I want to read all of this chapter. Verse 14 says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Because of that adoption, you cry, Abba, Father. What is Paul telling us? It's through the spirit that we have access back to relationship with God because Jesus did it first. Now we can do it too. So why are you Pentecostal? I would say for two reasons, because it's spirit empowerment. It's the power of God coming into your life. It's the power to change our hearts and change our minds. It's the anointing and power of God. What's the second reason? It brings us into God's family. By the Spirit, we come in to God's family. We, you know, the, the Old and New Testament really are not that much different. Even in the Old Testament, if you are not connected to the Spirit of God, you are not in covenant with him. You see that in the tabernacle when God's presence filled the tabernacle. We see that in the temple when God's presence, pastor preached about it on Sunday a while back where the spirit of God came into the temple. But it's that it doesn't stop there because what does it say about the upper room? And there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and there uh, was fire and demonstration and noise. It's tying back to the Old Testament. This is Sinai. This is the tabernacle. This is the temple because outside of God's spirit, there is no relationship. This is why if we go down near the end of Romans 8, 29, and there's so much in these verses we have to just look at just a short portion here where it says in verse 29 that, that God's will was be for the church to be conformed to the image of his son. Now we want to pause there for a second because we know that Jesus is the only begotten son. He was God manifest in the flesh. He was this, this, uh, this divine, uh, he was God that became a man, right? We, we know this and, and we preach this, but the plan of God was that we would be like him, this, this, this son, but not just that, but look at what it says here at the ending of verse 29, 
that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. That's why we read that those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. Because there's more than one son. There's only one begotten son, but we are now a family. We now have this great king and this, this great ruler over God's kingdom, but he's the first of many brethren. Because again, if he resurrected, we can too. If he had new life, we can too. If he obeyed and he's doing the will of his father, okay, what's the story about Jesus when the people are gathered around him and somebody says, hey, your mother's outside. Your, your brethren are outside. There's people out, your family is waiting for you. But what does Jesus say? Who is my family? Those that follow after the will of my Father in heaven. The same are my brother, my sister, and my mother. I can hear Paul writing and preaching and saying, for by one spirit we are baptized into one body. I can hear him say, for through him we have access by one spirit unto the Father. And to re-quote uh, Romans 8.15, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, this is an invitation to join the family, the family of God, the body of Christ. So why does all of this matter? Why does all of this matter? We're Pentecostal because we believe in the spirit and empowerment. We believe that the Spirit is what brings us into God's family. So why does this matter? Because that son of David, that son of God, <clears throat> he's coming back. He's coming back. There's going to come a time where Psalm 2 is fulfilled where all the kingdoms of the earth are going to bow down to that anointed king. And Isaiah 11, where it says that the, the whole earth is going to be his kingdom, and he's going to rule God's kingdom with righteousness, and he's going to destroy all the wicked, that, that's going to come to pass. And that's a day we should look forward to. That's a day where we should be praying, Lord Jesus, come quickly, because we want you here. We want you in Jerusalem sitting on your throne. You are the king. You are our king. So here are just a few things that I think we should keep in mind. Now is not the time to neglect an upper room experience. Now is not a time to neglect the power of the Spirit. I refuse to be a part of a church without an upper room. I refuse to be a part of a church that neglects and forsakes the power and the anointing of God. I refuse to weaken the invitation to God's family. I refuse to hide the source of liberty because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty to set the captives free, to, to break the chains and bring people out of darkness. I do not want to neglect. I want to embrace this Pentecostal doctrine. Somebody say amen. What about this second one? The first one, it's, it's not time to neglect this upper room experience. But number two would be Pentecost reveals our true purpose. 
Pentecost reveals our true purpose. Acts 1.8 is a passage that we love, and it's such a great verse when Jesus says that power, after power comes upon you, you're going to be witnesses of me. What's he saying? You are going to be an ambassador for the kingdom. You're going to be witnesses of God's kingdom, God's king and God's kingdom. This is about invitations to join the family. We need to make sure we understand that our purpose is, is building the kingdom. This is God allowing us to participate in his plan of redemption. It's binding together in unity to serve together. So welcome to the family. Because we have some work to do. We have a high calling, a commission by our king to show other people what it's like to come into the family, to show them what living in this Pentecostal apostolic lifestyle is like. It's, it's our job to show the world to be that light. So right now, wherever you are watching this, let's just lift up our hands in surrender. Maybe we need to pray that, God, I need some new purpose. Or maybe we just need to pray that, God, I need to, I need to cling on to your spirit more. Or maybe there are some of you that you have not been into this family yet, but there's an open invitation. There's an open invitation. So wherever you are, why don't you just call on our Father, the Lord, the King, because that King, he's listening. His arms are open. He's ready to receive you. He's ready to empower you. He's ready to deliver you. He's ready to give you a, an anointing of power through the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you would touch our hearts, that you would move on us, Jesus, that you would give us an anointing and a power, Lord, to walk through this world, not being afraid of the darkness, not being afraid of the other kingdoms. We know there are other kingdoms, but there's only one kingdom that's going to last. There's only one kingdom that's going to stand forever, and I want to be a part of that kingdom. Lord, I want to serve in your kingdom. I pray that you would give me the heart of a servant, Lord, to do the will of the Father, to walk in obedience, Jesus. Amen, because there's going to come a day, church, where it says in the very last chapter that we're going to walk up to that throne. And the Bible says that his servants shall see his face, the face of the king, the face of the father, the son, the lamb. It's all in the face of Jesus. I'm looking forward to that day in Jesus' name. Amen.